This podcast contains adult humor that some people might find offensive. You're sharpening it. It was the one hero knife. They had two aluminum ones. I, I wish this knife was still around. They always wanted the, the, the knife to glint across the camera, but the little knife had a hard time catching the glint. So they built a three-foot knife. No, no kidding. To shoot from a distance so it could catch a lot of light. And it was, covered, it was made out of plastic and covered with mylar. It was, and I don't know if any of the shots actually made it in the film, but it was a, it was a, it was a fun experiment. Let's just make a big knife and we'll get a big glint. The voice you just heard there was that of Brian Thompson talking about the iconic knife from the 1986 Cheese Fest, an absolute 80s smorgasbord of action cliches, Cobra. Starring himself as the evil night slasher, Sylvester Stallone as Marion Cabretti, aka Cobra, and Bridget Nelson as Ingrid, directed by George Cosmatos, the film is very, very, very loosely based on the 90s. 1974 novel by Paula Gosling called A Running Duck and are both the subject of today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Adapted Screen Podcast, a podcast where we take a book and its on-screen counterpart and discuss the differences. I am your host, Philip, and with me, as always, is Richie the Body. How do you do, Richie? I'm very good, thank you, Philip, for asking. I'm very excited to be here this evening, live at the A2S Comedy Bar and Club in downtown Birmingham, here again for another fantastic episode. I trust you two are well. Indeed, I certainly am. And today we have our first ever returning guest to the podcast, uh, a good friend of the show, and we are a good friend of his show, is Jason from the It's Not That Bad podcast. Jason, good evening to you. Guys, thank you so much for bringing me back. Now, I'm going to admit that I was surprised that you guys did bring me back, seeing how the last time I was here, we talked about The Circle, and I'm pretty sure you guys are probably still having regret over having to read and watch that movie. Yes, that is very true. However, I knew that the book and the film were completely different and that Richie's head would explode and we would need someone with extreme diligence on the show to help guide us through it. So I thought the only person I know who's more prepared than the most prepared person in the whole entire world is you. Well, I'll I'll admit that I came prepared for that one. And Richie, again, I am sorry for making you watch that film and read that (laughs) book. Now, I'm, I'm curious, though. Did you ever get around to reading the sequel? to the circle the every no is the answer to that and if you had uh, listened to our previous show jason which i'm sure you didn't um i <laughs> i i complained mercilessly that all i ever do is read for this podcast and no longer have um joy in reading just for reading's sake so no we didn't well at least i didn't richie possibly could have richie <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. After the way the book actually ended, you're sitting there going, do I really want to go back to this? I will say the every, I think, is actually a better book than the circle. But I don't blame you for not wanting to return to that world. It will go on the list at some point, I'm sure. If I'm uh, if I'm on holiday somewhere, I haven't got anything to read, most definitely. Well, if they, if they do a film of it, we might visit it, but unlikely. So uh, today in our comedy corner, we have a standing Richie is going to be taking to the stage. So Richie, if you would like to take to the stage and run us through the comedy corner.
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. No, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You, you are too kind. Thank you. Just gonna before I start this, I'm just gonna address the elephant in the room. I know what you're thinking. 1980 Stallone body, face of Tom Hardy, voice of Johnny Vegas. <laughs> It's like God said, okay, I'm going to make him sexy, funny, fantastic personality, strong and tough, amazing in the sack. Yes, ladies. And I'm going to make him a good cook as well. And then he must have realised that he'd created a superhuman in me. So to balance things out, he slapped this stupid fucking voice on. But anyway, voice aside, this week we are on the podcast covering the film Cobra. Anybody here seen the film Cobra? Great! Well, this next bit's going to go down like a lead fucking balloon, isn't it? (laughs) So, Cobra, what the fuck can I say about Cobra? Jesus. Um, To me, it feels like, you know, the the, uh, 1980s male-dominated film industry with all of that cocaine. I remember at parts watching Stallone, it felt like he'd been on smack with his less than enthusiastic performance, which is most likely why they said he was part of the zombie squad. Someone from the Washington Post said it was an exhilarating thrill and a roller coaster of a ride. Another one from the Times said it was a thrill ride in action adventure. Five stars. What the fuck were they watching? Because it wasn't the same fucking film I watched. They must have been taking the same cocaine the screenwriters are on. One of my favourite parts. He walks into this hotel room, a skanky hotel room that they've bought for the night. And he sat down, he's assembling his automatic assault rifle thing. And then he's sorting out all of his, his explosive, like he's getting ready to fucking storm Normandy. And then, after he's finished, casually gets up and goes and bangs Bridget Nielsen like it's the next thing to do on his fucking to-do list. (laughs) At one point, he has two men in his sights in this steel foundry, because nothing says 80s, 90s action film, quite like a shootout in the fucking foundry with fire and sparks everywhere. He's got these guys in his sights. You know, he could just pop, pop. Quick as that, he's got them in his sights. But, but no, 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 no. He's strategically placed this grenade in the right place. Somehow he knows they're going to walk past it. I don't know how fuck he knows they're going to walk But he does, he knows, he knows. Because, you know, he's the man. So, instead of shooting them, he shoots the grenade. Which, mental on its own, I agree. But what's more mental is, who the fuck is handing out grenades to rogue cops in America? Imagine your first day on the job. Uh, here's your side piece, sir, and your holster. Could you please sign here? Oh, and uh, how many grenades would you like? <laughs> grenades! Oh, grenades. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. Standard issue amongst cops here in the Americas. Yes, yeah, everybody, everybody gets them. You never know when you might need to shoot one from the other end of the fucking room. At one point, one point, it douses some poor fella in petrol and sets him ablaze. That, that's not normal cop behaviour. How, how is he getting away with this? Can you imagine being pulled over on the M5 for speeding and a cop saying to you, uh, do you, you know you were speeding, sir? Uh, you, well, y- yes, officer, I'm, so, I'm sorry, uh, but I was only doing 80 and a 70. To which he starts pouring petrol out of a jerry can onto your lap. I understand, sir, but rules are rules. Chucks a zippo in your barnet and fucks off. 
To be fair though, if I'm being honest, it would cut down on speeding. In other scenes, Stallone's character sits down at his desk and picks up a bit of leftover pizza. I don't know how long it's been there, he's probably been there weeks. And uh, he decides to cut a little triangle off the normal slice with a pair of scissors. That's not normal behaviour. No one does that. Why is he doing that? Why is, why is he not being tested? That's weird. It's very fucking weird. And then he proceeds to eat it with his fucking gloves on. That's not normal, Marion. In case you didn't know, Marion, that's his name. That's not fucking normal either. Especially not for an action hero in the 80s. Fucking Marion. I mean, even the opening scene, even the opening scene is ridiculous. You've got the supermarket being held by some overacting lunatic that looks like something out of a fucking manga cartoon. And instead of negotiating, which I'm pretty sure is standard protocol in America, or maybe sending in a SWAT team because negotiations have failed, they go, oh, no, 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 no. No, we're going to call Cobra. Let's send that fucking nutter in on his own. Who walks in looking like a fucking mongy terminator. <laughs> steals, steals and chugs a can of beer because apparently drinking on the job isn't a problem. And then he proceeds to use lines like, You're a disease and I'm the cure. And like, I don't deal with psychos. I put them away. Mate, if I, if I was the villain, I'd be like, You're taking the piss. What the fuck? Who talks like that? And the villains, in all the villains, in the, what, they, they all look like sweaty, out-of-breath pedos. They've just come out of a difficult wank. <laughs> Speaking of villains, you've got the New World. That's some sort of murder cult that when not out slicing throats and standing around in a dungeon, clanging axes together for some fucking reason. You're like, what's their belief? Oh, k- killing the weak. Only the strong shall live. Okay. Okay, well, clearly not the fucking strung of mine then, you deranged bunch of cunts. <laughs> so basically, the film is two murder gangs, the first being the baddies, who are like fucking hell's angels, but with no moral compass, and that's fucking saying something. And then you've got the other murder gang, which are the cops, because, let's be honest, that's what they do, they murder the murder gang, which also begs the question... How many murder gangs could a murder gang murder if a murder gang could murder murder gangs? That's me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm done. Thank you for having me. While you're here, please don't forget to take out your phones and subscribe to the podcast. You have been fucking brilliant. Richie, thank you very much for finding the funny in the unfunny. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to move swiftly on to Authors Bump. Authors Bump! Paula Gosling, born October the 12th, 1939, is a United States-born crime writer. She had lived in the United Kingdom since the 1960s. In 1957, Gosling graduated from McKenzie High School in Detroit, Michigan. Following her high school career, she obtained an English degree at Wayne State University, graduating in 1962. Obviously, she wrote A Running Duck, which is the subject of of today's podcast, but other bibliographies, easy for me to say, the Jack Street 
Striker series, the Luke Abbott series, the Blackwater Bay series, and other novels, including A Running Duck, also published as Fair Game, The Zero Trap, Loser's Blues, Mind Eyes, and Woman in Red. Question? Yes. Who would win in a fight, Jack Reacher or Jack Striker? Well, I don't know this Jack Stryker character. Uh, he's, he's got a better name, though, hasn't he? Well, he, yeah, and also, also, it's spelt with a Y and not an I, so you know he means business. You know what and I mean? He's cool. He's cool. He definitely wears a leather jacket. Oh, does he? Now, does he? Or does he wear a wife, Peter? What? Well, is he just, like, like, does he just walk around in a vest all the time? Is that what we call them? Well, that's what they are, aren't they? I thought that's what we called Stella. <laughs> so two things right because jason's from canada he could probably relate to the wife beater straight away even though it's more of an american thing than a canadian thing but yeah, but in england we've got a drink called stella Artois. it's a five percent lager known as wife beater <laughs> i shouldn't be laughing at that oh <laughs> man okay so so we we do actually have stella over here but it's pretty much on the same shelf as all the rest of the piss beer that's out there so fully get it it's basically bud light at that point isn't it really when you say piss beer what do you mean by piss beer pretty much any kind of standard lager and i mean at five percent i would say that's watered down now this is me who prefers a you know a bit of a stronger beer you know anywhere from like the 6.5 to the 9 to the 12 percent beers like the the double and the triple ipa so the harsher and hoppier the better so you're you're the kind of person you you'll find down uh, sat on the wall with your, your old friends like with it with it with a background your bit that, that, that's the kind of thing <laughs> Anybody who's drinking Kestrel Super, Tenant Super, you see them on the park drinking, drinking out of a bag. It sounds like I'm like being Chris Farley, you know, living in a van down by the river. <laughs> anyway, we, we we digress. We're going to move on to the next section of the show. Then, and the next section of the show is uh, Richie Hardbody's fun facts. Richie Hardbody's really informative and interesting fun facts. Only this time, I haven't had time to put anything together, so Phil, you can do it. Yeah, no, well, thank you very much, Richie. Uh, So let's have some fun facts about Cobra. Uh, Brian Thompson had to buy his own ticket to see the film because he was not invited to the premiere by the producers and Warner Brothers. I heard that. He was still, to this day, doesn't know why. Yes, indeed. Uh, Body count is 52, 41 killed by Cobra. Uh, I do like this one. The custom 1950s Mercury driven by Sylvester Stallone in the film was actually owned by him and the studios produced stunt double cars, (laughs) which he used in the action sequences. You could imagine it, couldn't you? You don't get any dance in the car. (laughs) (laughs) They must have used a lot of stunt doubles. (laughs) They broke my car. The boogie, yeah. Um, Sylvester Stallone said he got the idea from the LAPD zombie squad from a real-life zombie squad in Belgium comprised of cops who go out at night and handle crazed criminals on their own terms. They call those vigilantes, surely? Uh, yes, or bent coppers from the 1970s. Uh, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty much. Oh, and there was also, uh, the other fun fact which I enjoyed was Andrew Robinson, who played the police 
lieutenant sergeant like you know the the chap in charge him and gonzalez were also in the dirty harry movie uh, i don't know whether it was just dirty harry one of i'm sure uh, one of our listeners can correct me where he played the zodiac killer and gonzalez played gonzalez the police officer alongside dirty harry who was trying to uh, track him down so that's the jihad bodies riveting fun facts Jihad bodies, really informative and interesting fun facts. <laughs> yes. So what we're going to do is, what we're going to do is, we're going to move swiftly on to the fun trailer, the sometimes slightly creepy but fun trailer. <laughs> We stole this from you, Jason, I do believe, because Phil started doing this, and then I listened to your podcast shortly after he started doing it. I realised, oh, he stole this. He stole this. <laughs> I must and have. You do it, and you do it so much better. Thank you. Oh, you meant Jason? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to sit there going, well, he does actually a decent job, so yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, right. Are you ready, Richie? Yeah, and Jason, this is going to sound shit when he does it now, but when I've finished editing it, it'll sound a lot better. I, I think I said this last time, maybe. I'll tell you what then, Phil, I won't edit it and I'll leave it exactly no, as no, you do it. No, don't do that. No, make it sound good. <laughs> don't make it sound shit. <laughs> what you have to do, though, right, is put, is put like, the um, that um from Cobra behind it, you know, that, that proper, like, weird bass line it's got. You should put that in. No idea what you're on about, but I'll have a look. Well, in the movie, you know, it's like... Um... What, all the oh, way okay. through? Wow, I did, you work your magic. Right, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah, go. A tough on crime street cop must protect the only surviving witness to a strange murderous cult with far-reaching plans. Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave that exactly as you've just done it, and yeah, don't gonna, be a and dickhead. Na- and now I'm going to play it again with the, with the production over the top of it, so, people, oh, so the listeners can can see the difference. <laughs> Why would you expose our podcast? <laughs> Why would you do it? it? Makes us real. Okay. A tough on crime street cop must protect the only surviving witness to a strange murderous cult with far-reaching plans. So thank you for that, Phil. That was absolutely amazing. Short and straight to the point, as always. I'm going to play my trailer now that I did just a few hours ago. In a world where crime is as common as a bad 80s hairstyle, one man stands against the tide. His name, Marion Cobretti. But you can call him Cobra. I always wanted to have a tougher one myself. You know, something a little harder name. Like what? Alice. He's got a matchstick in his mouth a gun in his hand, and an attitude bigger than his aviator sunglasses. Yo, Freddy, do you know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but it's just a little. He's not just fighting crime. He's annihilating it, one one one-liner at a time. Your disease, I'm the cure. When he's not busy reducing the crime rate, he's reducing the city's supply of pizza one tiny piece at a time. This summer... Get ready to laugh till it hurts with Cobra. It's not just an action movie. It's a high-speed chase down the highway of 80s action cheese. I've got to say, that was pretty cool. And I like the music 
in the back as well. Oh, another one of Jihad Body's interesting informative fun facts. Stan Bush's The Touch was going to be one of the songs on the film, but it ended up in Transformers, the movie instead. And I think you would agree, Jason, uh, Stan Bush is uh, a legend of uh, action film songs and the mainstay of my gym workout <laughs> compilation. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I just find it funny that you've got Stan Bush's The Touch, which is so iconic when you take a look at Transformers, you know, the animated film, like, you know, the 1986, so exactly the same year animated film. I mean, Andy Kitt, who grew up in the 80s, all, all of a sudden, the minute you say Transformers, the movie, it's like, you got the touch. Or unless they, you know, watched Boogie Nights and tried to watch Mark Wahlberg kind of butcher that version. Because, yeah, that was not pretty. I don't remember that, actually. No, I think I think the only thing from Boogie Nights I can remember is someone getting battered with roller skates and remembering that it was really fucking creepy. And I didn't like it because I was probably about 13, although I'd seen Hellraiser and Not on Elm Street previous, I still was like, ooh, this is a bit ew. Yeah, don't mess with Roller Girl. <laughs> Haven't seen it. I think you'd like it, Richie, because I think that you would probably Rocks think that creepy. No, you dickhead. Because I think it's... Cause <laughs> it, uh, is it about a male porn star? Is that right, Jason? Is that what it is? <laughs> what are you trying to say? So, so the whole premise is that Mark Wahlberg is, quote-unquote, discovered by this, like, 70s, 80s era porn producer where porn apparently was in its heyday. And they were trying, they were trying to make them, like, real films with, you know, just lots of fucking in them and then of course you know everyone gets into drugs and you see the spiral of each of the characters until they you know finally hit absolute rock bottom so you know it's a happy movie i guess i think it's your it's your kind of film richard because i think that you would see yourself as the mark Wahlberg character you know he's got the body he's got the face he's got the appendages appendages is that what we call them then well you know i'm trying to keep it pg really i'm trying to i'm doing my best it's okay. We've already put the disclaimer at the start. Oh, we have. Okay. The cock. Richie the cock armour. Yeah. Right, so we're <laughs> going to move on. We're going to move on. On that note, we're going to move on to the next part. We're going to move on to the cast. Phil, you're going to tell us about the cast, and then we'll talk about the differences between the, the characters in the film and the book. Okay, so we have Sylvester Stallone plays Marion Cobretti. We have Bridget Nielsen, who plays Ingrid. We have Rennie Santoni, who plays Gonzalez. Andrew Robinson plays Detective Monty. Brian Thompson, who plays the Night Slasher. Lee Garlington, who plays Nancy Stork, ironically. And Art LaFleur, who plays Captain Sears. Oh, uh, with a special mention, of course, to Marco Rodriguez, who plays the supermarket killer. Right, so we've done we've done the cast, Rich, uh, and now we can go into the differences. Jason, do you want to start us? I mean, you've listened to you've listened listened you've watched two movies for for this. You've watched um, you watched Cobra, and you watched the other one that I keep forgetting. Yeah, yeah. So Fair Game. So you've got Cobra released in 1986, then you've got Fair Game released in 1995. So as far as a cast goes, you couldn't be any more completely different from one and the other. So with Cobra, you've got Stallone at like peak Stallone era. You know, this is like Rocky Rambo Stallone era. This is before he starts to really kind of branch out into different kind of characters. And of course, you've got Bridget Nielsen, who apparently on set... Um, 
Stallone was confronted about the the production running behind, and someone on on set said, "Well, if you get your hands off of Bridget Nielsen's ass, then maybe we'd be able to <laughs> film a few scenes." Because this, of course, was the start of their relationship as well. So, you know, between this and Rocky Four, you've got him as like the 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 manly protector, Bridget Nielsen. <laughs> you know, against like, of course, the the horde of satanic whatever the hell is going on in Cobra, and with Fair Game. You've got Cindy Crawford in the actual Claire role from the book, and you have William Baldwin, you know, as the cop looking after her, which is a much more dialed back version. I think a little bit closer to the Mike Malchick version that you get in the book. The interesting thing, though, is when you take a look at who is, you know, potentially up for the roles. So for Kate, which is the Claire role you've got in the book. Julianne Moore and Gina Davis were both considered, and apparently Brooke Shields and Drew Barrymore were offered the role, but eventually ended up going to Cindy Crawford. And then as Max Kirkpatrick, the role played by William Baldwin and the Mike Malchek, you had Keanu Reeves, who actually turned down the role. So you have a, a very interesting possibility for that film. But in all honesty, there are aspects of both of these films that you can see very much in, in A Running Duck, and you can see where they've completely and utterly changed it. Fair game, while it, it is... I, I would say unfairly maligned. Fair Game is actually a much better film than a lot of people give it credit for. They probably see Sidney Crawford on the cover and go, oh, we're turning a model into a movie star now. Fair Game is a much better film than, than most people would even think. Cobra, there are aspects. That, like, if you're looking for a, a, a pseudo-faithful adaptation of the book, there are aspects of Cobra that you can sit there and say, okay, well, they're doing this and they're doing this. Yes, they ch- in both cases, they've changed the villain. And that's probably the biggest knock on both of these films. But I think, at least in the case of Fair Game, by changing it into this organization of XKGB mercenaries that happen to be, um, how would I say, like, Cindy Crawford's work as a lawyer has kind of come across the there's this boat that the the mercenaries are using in order to be able to tap into like this underwater internet line so they can uh, access all these funds and put them into their Swiss bank account. And because she's trying to get this boat as part of a divorce settlement uh, to someone who's connected to the mercenaries, she's just run afoul of them rather than happenstancely walking by a killer under a bridge, which happened in both the book and in uh, Cobra. I think Fair Game was modernized well enough. Cobra, you know, you didn't have the technology available in a movie like Fair Game. Well, it's interesting you bring up uh, Keanu Reeves turning down the role. Would that be about the same time that he either did Speed or just finished doing Speed? Because you've got to think that if you say, do you want to be in a film with Cindy Crawford where you get to like snog her up? You just go, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, sweet, no problem. But clearly it had bigger ideas with speed and so on and so forth. But I think if, if you look at the caster speed, it was quite strong, really. Uh, obviously, you'd mentioned Cindy Crawford and William Baldwin, uh, but you had Stephen Burkoff, a uh, friend of the show, Christopher McDonald, as Richard would know him as Shooter McGavin. You had Salma Hayek in there as well. Uh, and Jeanette Goldstein... Uh, also, I think she appears in more or less every film that's ever been made anytime ever. So it was a decent, it was a decent cast, and I think probably when you have somebody like, say, a Cindy Crawford, you need a stronger cast in the movie to really make it a movie similar to Barbed Wire, I think. Um, but although that being said, I mean Pamela Anderson was an actress, wasn't she? She wasn't a model. 
so to speak. She was she was an actress, and so for her to be in a movie wasn't that much of a oh my god, what's she doing in a movie? I mean, she is because she's an actress. If I remember correctly, Pamela Anderson really came to public attention by being at a, again, I have to double check my history on this one, but she was discovered on the Jumbotron at BC Lions CFL football game by being just absolutely stunningly hot. And people were like, who the hell is this? And then eventually started to appear in some softer core porn films. And then, and of course, then not porn, but like, but like the movies at night kind of thing, you know, the ones that are going to play out, you know, after midnight. like, you know, there's a story in Involved. But yeah, there's also sex. <laughs> well, no, yeah, uh, which was the, I think we used to get the red shoe Doris, but she was, uh, she was in Home Improvement as well, wasn't she? Yeah, she she was one of the tool time girls. But then, of course, she got the spot on Baywatch and then it all exploded from there. And then, of course, there was also VIP, which she was the the main star of that show. And, and yeah, it really exploded from there. And then she was in this little thing called Tommy and Pam. But, <laughs> you know. I digress. But the the thing is with Cindy Crawford, she was already a major star by this point. You know, this is like three years after like the big Pepsi ad where, you know, she's just standing there looking absolutely hot. She was also in the the Bon Jovi music video, uh, Please Come Home for Christmas. And, you know, she was also one of the biggest, if not the biggest supermodel at the time. So it made absolute sense to try to transition that fame and that pop culture attention into an acting career. And I, I honestly, I think she got really unfairly maligned for this because she actually did a decent job in it. Most definitely. And um, well, just swinging back, swinging back to the, uh, to the characters, I think that Sylvester Stallone's portrayal of Mike Malchek was pretty much spot on. Now, I don't know whether it's because I've seen Cobra 30 odd times and then when I'm reading it, I'm like, that's exactly that's exactly how he was in the movie bits like when she's in the hospital to start with and gonzalez is taking the lead and he just gives you know like the one word answers and gives her the looks that it, like, you know, like kind of gives a disapproving looks and it's like yeah that's exactly how he would behave unfortunately for the book it took a horrible in my opinion took a horrible turn and it turned out to be a massive wimp who even i could beat up um <laughs> so, but um i think uh, i think i think the claire character if you compare it to bridget nielsen the only difference is that claire kind of was described as small a lot even though she might not have been small i think it was more uh, she was described as small through fear and obviously you could never say that bridget nielsen was small at all but no. uh, but uh, i think she was described as eh, she's a hot broad and that was about it you know she, like, she was a very attractive woman um who often was small with fear i think gonzalez kind of you could probably imagine that gonzalez was exactly the same as gonzalez you know he was kind of i think in the book he was in his 50s he was quite caring and probably what you would imagine at least in the uk a police officer to be like now you know kind of considerate and you know attentive rather than the stallone character who gonzalez did apologize for <laughs> quite uh, quite a few times as far as uh, as far as the other characters i think it's by the by really because the other characters don't really matter too much in the book other than say edison and if you want to compare edison to the night slasher they're two completely different characters yeah i, I mean can we, can we talk about claire for a second here because i got issues with claire I, I have massive issues with Claire. Talk to us. Okay, so 
for the first, seemingly for the first couple of chapters of this book, you know, aside from Claire being basically unawares as to why she would be targeted and whatnot, we spend a lot of time hearing from her voice and her point of view, her real low self-opinion of herself. She's constantly like, I don't know why that all of a sudden, like, you know, why, why people would want to spend all this time with me or, or why they would pay attention to someone like me, even though she's in the process of trying to say no to the guy who she's working with, who proposed to her. And it's like, what, why? Someone has proposed to you, Claire. Why, why are you constantly down on yourself? And then you go and cast fricking Bridget Nielsen. In this role, <laughs> you know, and then you go nine years later and you put Cindy Crawford into this role. I I could understand maybe someone like a Gina Davis, even though she is very attractive. I could understand a Gina Davis with that kind of personality, or a Drew Barrymore with that kind of personality. Indeed, that, yes, those yes. would have made sense. And if you were going to do this film today, you could easily see a Bryce Dallas Howard in that kind of role and having that kind of personality. But it really irked me when you when you read that and you have this self-deprecating version of the person that we're trying to protect in the film. And the other thing, too, when you take a look at Mike Malchek, when the action starts to get near the end, we have this all of a sudden realization that, well, he suffers from like delayed you know, malaria or whatever that he got in the war. They took every single humanizing weakness out of Mike Malchek in both versions. In both Cobra and Fair Game, you have a cop without any problems. Now, William Baldwin is the much more realistic cop. He's not superhuman. He's just trying, he's just a determined cop. And there's only once or twice where you sit there and go, yeah, if you tried that, you'd fucking die. With Cobra, right? Sylvester Stallone is unbreakable. Like he's the only guy who can shoot because apparently all the, the people from the satanic cult went to the stormtrooper school of trying to shoot people. <laughs> so, you have an infallible protector, and that is very different from a running duck. So I think we might have bled slightly into the differences in the movie there. But, well, no, we, we, I think, okay, so what we've done, we've covered the differences in the cast extremely diligently. Thank you, Jason. You have, I haven't. I've been sat there. I went on Google and typed <laughs> in, and, and typed, what was the name? You just mentioned that. Cindy Crawford. So yeah, That's, I, just yeah. In, I just typed in Cindy Crawford nude, and I've just been lost down a rabbit hole. <laughs> So let's move on to the differences in the movie. Now, for our listeners, uh, can I ask Jason, where do you live? What area do you live in Canada? I I am actually just outside of Toronto. Okay, so you don't live in Peterborough then? No, no, we're close enough though. I mean, we're we're about you know an hour away from Peterborough. Okay, well, what I was going to say for our listeners, uh, for our for our dedicated listeners, for our return listeners, like in the UK, we have uh, we have a very strong following in Sutton Coalfield. Uh, I'm sure it's a, a very attractive milf, Halifax as well, uh, and in the United States, we do have uh, quite a good following in Queens. Um, we do have someone from Stone Mountain. I don't even know where Stone Mountain is, but in Canada, we have uh, a very dedicated listener in Peterborough who has downloaded several of our episodes so for all you lovely people especially in France uh, in Paris and uh, Russia to men um, if you haven't seen the film pause now go and watch the film and then come back and we're going to tell you the ridiculous differences (laughs) between the book and the movie now I think really the only constant is Mike Malchek or Marion Cobretti. They're extremely similar. They've got a very, very similar background. They are the only one who can stop the bad guy. The bad guy is completely different. Uh, in the book, he is 
a hitman, a quite a good one. And I had to go back actually. Um, like I'd obviously I was reading, I was reading, I was reading, and I was like, like, what is this guy after? I don't even understand. And it was only because the hitman had met maybe his contact who he was killing. Uh, you know, killing four and dropped some papers and she'd gone, oh, sorry, sir, you, you, you've dropped some papers on the floor. And that means the hitman has to kill her. Now, it wasn't until later we realised that she didn't recognise him and he recognised her uh, for the aforementioned reasons we will discuss later. And so he had to kill her. Now, I actually found the, the book is, it's in three sections, like most books should be, it's in three sections. It's the, it's the build up, the middle, and the conclusion and the build-up was really good it was you know it kind of followed claire like you said she'd been proposed to she wasn't really sure she hadn't gone to his parents for the for the weekend holiday because she probably didn't really want to marry the geezer well, you should kind of tell him you don't want to if you don't want to if you if you're at the point where someone's proposing and you don't really want to just say it anyway she ends up getting shot or she gets hurt and she doesn't realise and then she realise she's been shot and she's taken to the hospital and Gonzalez and Malchek Cobretti are brought in to the hospital and Gonzalez is actually doing a really good job as a police officer. He's going through every single viable possibility that there is and she's dismissing them all, as probably you would. You go, oh, no, it can't be that, it can't be that, it can't be that, it can't be that. Little do they know that the hitman's trying to get there but he doesn't and in the end well not in the end but uh, at the end of the first act really he basically bombs a house but unfortunately for for him it's the woman's boyfriend who opens the fridge the fridge is booby trapped he's blown to smithereens and then she's taken on the journey that we see in cobra where they're on the run they go from town to town and town to town but it's very much like and i thought this as well it's very much like uh is it not spectre it's the one before Skyfall where they leave a trail for Javier Bardem to follow them and that's kind of what he's doing is uh, Cobretti or Malchek is leaving a trail for Edison to follow them so they can catch him that's the that's what I think that's what they conclude the only way we can stop him is to bring him to us kind of thing I, I think the thing too is that in Malchek you, you have the police force that doesn't actually want him on the, the case and you you have that very much feel with, with Cobra as well it's like all of a sudden Cobretti is the, the last person they want involved in all of this I think the biggest problem most people are going to have if they're looking for a faithful adaptation is the character of Edison right here you have a contract killer almost akin to you know as i was reading the book my first thought was chris evans in the gray man and how you have someone who's a very confident hired assassin someone who's a, a contract killer very very confident in his own ability and the reason why he's so upset is when claire sees mike or when Claire sees Edison, sorry. Yeah, you know, and of course, like there's the, I guess the punk rockers or whatever that are driving around and making a lot of noise. So he can't really finish her off there because there are even more witnesses and you have to kill more people. So buy the time and find and take care of her later. And then all, you, you have it as a very much a hunter versus hunted kind of thing where it's just like one killer with a, a killer trying to protect the person as well. Like, so it's a very mono mono thing between Malchick and Edison. With Cobra, you have this satanic group or whatever the hell they're, they're, they're you know, worshippers of the axe, apparently. Who knows? And it's really just a, a, a feeling of chaos and they have no rhyme or reason. It's like the Joker at this point. There's zero rhyme or reason as to why they do what they do. They just like to kill. 
that's it. And she just happens to drive by when they're killing someone. And then, of course, they have to track her down. Well, it was my first thought, a kind of, I was thinking, who does Edison remind me of? And it was Scaramanga from The Man with the Golden Gun. It was that kind of, like, he had that kind of style. Uh, that kind, you know, it was that. Like, that's what I could think of. But also, I had in my head Gross Point Blank. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I had in my head that he was Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I was like, I, don't, I can't get this out of my head, really. But it was like that was that was where I was sitting. Um, Richie, what are your thoughts so far? Honestly, this one's a difficult one for me. This whole, this film and this book, I, I, I literally have no thoughts. I can't compare these two. It's like comparing Titanic with fucking Nightmare on Elm Street. It's, just, <laughs> it's too different for me. I, I have no, I really, I really have no thoughts. I mean, when I did it comes say you had to, to fall off, didn't I? When it comes to a bit later, when we talk about a remake, oh, we we can be all over this because this is a film that needs remake. No, it's a book. It's a good book that needs a decent adaptation and it hasn't got one. So when it comes to that, I can I can join in. But when it comes to the differences, it's, you, you can talk for days about the differences because they're different stories. So I've got nothing. I've literally got nothing. Well, what occurred to me was that this could have been a sequel to Cobra, more or less. What, what I don't get is, why did you, okay, buy the rights to the film and then write the story and go, he's got nothing to do with the film, because no one will go, oh, that's not true. They'll go, there's fucking no, there's nothing the same here. There's zero. Okay, the character might be similar, but, like, there's nothing. And then you can go, oh, well, we're going to do a remake, and we're going to remake it, The Running Duck. And they, and there you go. Or not remake, sorry. The sequel is based off The Running Duck, and it's quite easy. You can do it that way, but, uh, you know, obviously I don't know how Hollywood works. It's very weird and very peculiar, but it could have been a very good sequel to Cobra however I suppose you'd say the woman in distress and so on and so forth it would have been too similar to the Cobra storyline so to speak however one of the best parts of the book I think I just want to bring up was when Edison traps them when the killer brings so basically in what what Malchek decides is that he's going to draw the killer to him and what the killer does is draw Malchek to him and that's the best bit because what happens is Gonzalez gets some fingerprints from a sheriff and he says oh um, we've pulled this bloke over for a rape and I've got some partial fingerprints here can you run them through the system and they run them they go it's Edison we've got him he's in he's in Sleepy Townville so they all rush to Sleepy Townville and the one the one thing reader that we know about Edison is that he stutters on a C it's can't we know that that's his only affliction. He stutters on the on the letter C. And what I didn't get, and, and we've brought this up before, and I don't know about you, Jason, is that sometimes when you're reading something, you can't kind of comprehend what the author's trying to tell you. So uh, Cobra Ian Claire go to the sheriff's house, and it's not a police station. It's a house. It's like, hang on, is, is this the sheriff? Is it the sheriff's house? Is it a police station? Is it just some random... Per- it just I couldn't get my head around why they've gone to a house and not a police station. That's what I couldn't figure out. So what the sheriff of the town has said is that I've caught this bloke, I've got him on a rape, I've beat him up pretty badly, uh, here is his fingerprints, they've turned up and... The sheriff's gone, come this way. And I've read it and I was like, fucking hell, this case is clever, isn't he? And he's got some proper front. Like, you've got to have some real front to do that. So they've got the they've got the guy. Claire can't identify him because his face is smashed to bits. They take him out. 
and wouldn't you know it it's fucking edison and when you're reading it's very hard to be shocked but malchek gets shot in the face halfway through the book and i'm like what (laughs) What the fuck it was just that that was a complete bizarre moment for me yeah, there, there's a lot in this book where there there are some holy crap moments. And I'm glad you brought that one up because the reason why this book is so good is because you have a villain that is complex, that is that you, you understand his reasoning, you understand his motive, his tactics are brilliant. You have those moments where the villain feels like they're getting the upper hand. You know, and, and then when you have Cobra, it's just a weird, faceless, tattooed, axe-wielding bunch of, again, Satanists, because apparently that's a thing. And it takes all the cunning out of this. The book feels more like an Elmore Leonard type of story. And I think if you had a production that was more along the lines of, of like a 52 pickup that had Roy Scheider that was actually based on an Elmore Leonard book, uh, you would have had a much more tete-a-tete kind of feel where here it felt more like Cobra against the Legion of Bad Guys. And that's not it. But I also understand that when you have every report that you that you read, you know, when you're on IMDb and stuff like that, Stallone kind of was the director on this. Even even though he's not the director on paper, he he directed this and you know did the rewrite because well he kind of won an Oscar for writing Rocky, so you know he's an okay film writer. But you have to think that maybe there's a little bit of ego in there as well. And to that same token, Stallone's going to want to do a film where he sounds like Stallone. So there there there's that kind of ego in there as well. My personal favorite one of my favorite films from Stallone is Oscar and he sounds nothing like Stallone there I think he put a little too much Stallone into this and that pulled it away from what could have been a very good tete-a-tete type uh, feel I think this whole film was disappointing very disappointing I mean when you talk about the differences between the the villains the um I mean in the in the book he was precise. He was. He was. He, he. He was a. He was a hitman. You can imagine him in a suit. He was very. He. He was clever. Whereas in the film, they turned him into a bunch of fucking idiots. Well, who are you? We were a cult. What? What do you do? We kill people. We slash people. Why? Because uh, the strong soul live. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. There's <laughs> a bunch of fucking idiots. Yeah, the, the villains in it were really fucking disappointing for me. It let the whole film down. Where's the book? I look. I actually liked the villain. He had personality, he had character, and he was clever and he was precise. And it was it's like they ditched all of that and they just got this stupid fucking gang that one brain cell to share between the lot of them. Well, however, no, and I completely agree there, but I think the differences between, or the two differences between the the antagonist in the book and the movie is in the movie you could you could see that obviously this this cult ran like quite wide yeah it could be anyone it could be the green grocer it could be the copper it could be the the hotel bellboy it could be anybody so you're not safe ever you're never safe because it could just be anybody at all in the book you've got this edison geezer can just click his fingers and he's got people doing everything and you're like that's bond villain-esque like i said it's it's a scaramanga it's like for instance in the final act of the book he's managed to hijack a truck and block the motorway uh, we say motorway sorry jason uh, uh motorway <laughs> and like several people jump out and he's always one step ahead and yes there is uh, a corrupt cop in the mix but he seems to have 28 different pies 
going all at the same time. And it's like, oh, like it's a little bit much. It's like, how can you find? Because obviously you have to, the buddy has to find them for the story to make any sense. But it, it gets in the realm of unbelievability, if you know what I mean. Whereas in the movie, if you're a member of a cult, you could be a member of a cult anywhere and you're all interconnected and that makes more sense so i can see that in the movie especially for a visual it makes more sense rather than hang on this guy knows absolutely everyone this is and this is meant to be a hitman who's secret who doesn't want his face like for instance we uh in our last episode where we covered uh, bad luck and trouble versus jack Reacher season two in the tv series the bad guy the alan mason chap the terrorist type chap was basically killing everyone he met so that they couldn't recognize him which was an old school thing he used to get in the 80s and 90s so cool i've had some plastic surgery now you're dead you can't tell who i am kind of thing alan may no, th- th- that villain in reacher Mm-hmm. That villain, it was Alan mm-hmm. Mason, did he say? Uh, well, the, that was, I think that was the main name he was using. What was, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he came across more like the villain in the book. Yes. That's the, he was the villain in the book. Yeah. He was. That was him. But what I'm saying there is that, like, with Edison, he had so many people who could identify him. It was just like, if you're meant to be this secret guy who nobody's, there's no pictures of you, there's no, nobody knows who you are. However, you've got 20 million connections all over the place. And there was a bit where um, he was getting a new passport. Well, uh, and the passport bloke's like, I want to meet you face to face. Are you fucking serious, mate? You want a killer to meet you face to face? Send somebody else with the passport. <laughs> Stay alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> now do you make you... a passport for somebody who won't show you his face? You know, this is this is the bit, isn't it? It's like, for fuck's sake, you know you're going to get killed. You're going to give the, the moody kids a plastic surgery and he's going to kill you because you can recognise him. Just don't do it. Go home. Go somewhere else. But, uh, no, but, I mean, but I can see the reason why the cult thing worked better in the movie than a hitman who just knew everyone. I couldn't tell. Did Edison and Malchek know each other? Were they in the same unit of the army? I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't break that down. No, I, I think the thing with, with Edison is that not that he knew Malchek, but he knew the type of person that Malchek was because of the background. The key thing, though, was that Edison actually knew Claire because in his not working life, he worked as a low level ad exec. Yeah, but because Claire had worked in advertising. So when they're at the diner and they see the newspaper with the with the message that he had put in there, specifically in a certain font, it was Claire recognized the font, but, but because it was the one that the guy always used from that agency in New York. So that explained a little bit as to how he knew where to find Claire on so many different times. So there was that familiarity and that was just one of those things where this was part of the reveal. You know, the the whole almost John Wick-esque in that when he's not killing, he's got this nice, quiet life and just normal person. And then all of a sudden, yeah, no, out come the guns and here we go. So there, there's that familiarity as well. And that reveal kind of explains a lot. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that because I think if I remember correctly, she'd figured out who he was because no, he told her when there was at the when there's at the sheriff's department, he told her oh, my name's X and you don't even know who I am and blah, 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 blah. And then the bit that you're talking about is shortly after that mm-hmm. where, where and this is even even unbelievable in a film, is that what Edison has done has got an advert put out in ev- in like the national newspaper that says, Malchek, you're dead. 
Yeah. And they fucking run it. I had to reread that because I thought, oh, that can't be right. That's not right, surely. How did they miss that? Actually, there was two things. There was two things. And thankfully, that was cleared up. That was cleared up pretty quickly, and it was it was the same bloke who always brought the copy and da 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 da. da. So that was, but the one bit that wasn't cleared up was: did Edison clear out Claire's bank account? I don't think no, so. I don't. No. no, or did or did Claire clear out the bank account? Yes, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I couldn't because they said like, but what they said is Claire had or somebody had cleared out Claire's bank account, and then two or three hours later, Edison had cleared out his bank or not Edison the the actual his real name I can't remember it is uh, it cleared out his bank I was like has Edison stole all the money and also what do you need 17 grand for yeah you might need some like moving around money but you don't need 17 grand you know what I mean it's like take five that should cover you well this is 1979 America you'd be alright with a few <laughs> hundred quid you know, you know what I mean you don't need and how is she save 17 grand advertising pays <laughs> That's yeah. very true. My my one of the thing, things I struggled with in the book was the relationship between Malchek and Claire. Because uh, when they first got together, they hated each other, couldn't stand each other, and it almost felt that as time went on, he became sexually attracted to her. Yeah. But um, her attraction to him almost felt like it was Stockholm syndrome. She was mm-hmm. relying on him, and it didn't. It just never felt quite right to me. Yeah, it was def- definitely unnecessary for sure. Even in Cobra and in Fair Game, there are points where you can see the attraction, even though despite the you know the the, the crazy circumstances, so it kind of makes sense. This felt you're you're right. Like Stockholm syndrome is probably the closest thing you can say because it's like, well, why are you having sex now? You're on the run. And it doesn't exactly seem like. Oh, and by the way, he's also suffering from malaria or whatever. So maybe not the best person to hop into and having weird disaster sex. <laughs> <laughs> I think from like a film point of view or a story point of view it makes sense you know they've been together they've gone through a lot together and you probably look at someone if you was in that situation you'd probably look at someone a little bit differently but the point you make there jason is that they're having a little bit of each other now it starts that way then all of a sudden he starts having malaria attacks and it's like oh well it really happens every two days no fucking don't you liar because it hasn't happened at all in the book and it's been about three fucking months more or less so this get all of a sudden like like there was no mention that he was bitten by a mosquito but he might have been referred to that it happened in Nam. and i was just like how's he having malaria attacks and then and then from that point from the point where he's this stone cold super cop who's who only ever basically shags the bird and then stands at a window naked all night looking for the attack he goes from that to telling her that he loves her calling her baby and planning their future together and like is this fucking this is not the same bloke that was in and it's not a cat it's not even character progression it's literally jumping off a cliff it's i'm super hard super stone cold to hey baby who loves you and it's and also the one bit that I couldn't get is when he's having this malaria attack for the very first time, which is probably seventy five percent into the book. When the doctor comes, it doesn't give him any like tablets or kind of like look, take these. It will slow down the thing, or it will stop it, or at least it won't be too bad. He's like, yeah, it'd be fine though. 
how about some fucking tablets? And it just, like, I don't think that malaria thing just wasn't needed. It wasn't needed because the threat of Edison is just as potent, especially when they end up in the woods. It's like, if you're in the woods with a geezer who wants you in the woods and he's got you where he kind of wants you, then it's a... it's a 50-50, isn't it? You don't need this malaria nonsense. And I actually was going, if she fucking kills Edison, I'm going to be livid. Thankfully, that wasn't the case. Yeah. And and, and that was... And that was the thing that the whole I'm going to train her to shoot because you never know when she's going to need it. And you sit there and say, OK, there's teeing up this point where this meek, self-deprecating woman finally takes her own protection in her own hands and and becomes the person to save the person who was saving her. You, 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 and then all of a sudden they're they're like, yeah, no, fuck that. We're going to put her in the under the bushes here and and he's going to kill her. And it felt like almost like a, a misdirection at that point. Yeah, most definitely. And I think what you see in a lot of films as well is the hero will get shot somewhere pretty bad, like really early on or hurt bad early on. But the bullet doesn't, you know, the, or the injury doesn't matter because he can. And, and you're like, you know, if you were shot in the ribs of the stomach or whatever it is, you're pretty much out of action. And this malaria thing pretty much puts you completely out of action. You've got no str- I mean, uh, I've been suffering with a bit of a, a bit of a cold over the last five or six days and i'm not the greatest fighter in the world but if i had to fight i'd really struggle to fight now you know what i mean and this geezer's got malaria and he's beating a geezer who's completely fit and focused and he's just like oh. whereas in the film for instance cobra e again is this kind of stone cold super cop who fights this raving lunatic and they're both at 100 percent. and so that's a bit more it's a fairer fight it's super psycho versus super cop and you're in a foundry and what happens happens i will say too there there is actually one point where cobra actually improves upon the story and that's in nancy stock is played by lee garlington one of the things part of why they're on the run and really going off the grid is because Malchik suspects that there's someone involved, like there's a mole in the department, which is why you know Edison knows where they are. And it, when it, when that part was revealed, it's like, oh, it's just this guy who happens to be early in the office and feeding Dempster, information. It's like, I think it was, yeah, yeah, like that, that felt like a just a uh, like like a weak cop out. You know, for something that you're setting up, you expect it to be someone a little bit more involved. And here, all of a sudden, you have someone who's on the protective detail to protect Bridget Nielsen, who's also part of the satanic cult that is feeding the information and letting them know. Like, and and you can see the suspicion from Cobra. Like, this is actually a better part in the film. Sorry, than than it was in the book. And I can't believe I'm saying this about something that Stallone rewrote and kind of, you know, shadow directed. But here we are. And that actually did improve upon what was there in the book to work with. Yeah, most definitely. I I think I think one of the the most disappointing bit of the book is that Gonzalez wasn't in the book enough. It's obviously uh, Gonzalez and Cobra together all the way through and obviously he suspects Gonzalez in the book it's like, well, he's, got, he's got to be Gonzalez he's the only one who knew and da, da 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 and his character would have worked really well as the the filler between Claire and Malchek whether it be oh you're not staying in the hotel with me tonight you're staying with Claire are you oh really that kind of you know that kind of thing would have because then at least the tension between him and Gonzalez would be are you the rat are you the rat that's why I think like you said and like I said there um 
I think that's a lot better for uh, the movie that it's a cult where anyone can be involved and not just one random person. Because the person who was doing his passport, he had access to the police department. So it was kind of detached, wasn't it? It was, you can find information for me and it will never get back that it's me direct to uh, the police department kind of thing, even though it was because it was Dempster who was giving the information. So, is that the differences between the book and the movie covered? Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Definitely, yes. Because otherwise, we're going to fucking talk all night about it, aren't we? No. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not looking forward to editing this. Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to score them now. Okay. The book and the film. One, uh, one to ten. Uh, I'll go first. I'm going to score the book a seven. It was simple to read. It was straightforward. It was nothing special. It was just a decent story. And, yeah, I'll give it a seven. Simple as that. The film is a fucking disaster. I'll give it a three. You prick. It was a great film. <laughs> right, I'm giving the film an eight. Just Actually, I'm going to give it a nine because Richard gave it a three. There you go. I'll give the book. I'll agree. It's a seven. For the book, I mean, yes, it was a quick read, uh, and I polished it off in about two days. So I'm actually going to give it a six because you know, I do have some issues with it. For Cobra... Uh, I'm going to give it a five because there, there's a lot where I'm just kind of sitting there going, oh, dear God. For Fair Game, I know you Ooh, guys didn't watch the film, right? but for Fair Game, I'm actually going to give that one an eight because that is the much better film of the two. Okay, that's very interesting. I'll have to read it. Paula, Paula Gosling, that's a, another one of her books, isn't it? No. So, yeah, yeah she, no, I'm pretty sure she did a book called Fair Game as well. No, that's but it's The Running Duck. Yeah, A Running Duck was republished as Fair Game. Yeah, it's How a, was it? it? It's an extended version, yeah. That's why oh, we've been. Okay. That's why we've been talking about it, Rich. Rather than just, rather than just randomly just going. No, I thought Fair, Fair Game. Game was uh, just another movie directed by someone else that was um, not directly based off the book, but was more like the book. No, Cobra. it's an extended version of the original book. Ironically, we could have done a Running Duck versus Fair Game, but we oh maybe that's another episode, Rich. No, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Okay, right. And so, are we on to Rich's remake? Yeah, we're going to the. Re- I've got I've got to do some production over there. That's staying now. Oh, you prick! I could do it better than that. Go on then. <laughs> Rich's remake. Yes, so we're going to remake the film. Lads, lads, boys, boys, gentlemen, we have been given $100 million each to remake this film. Starting with you, Jason, how are you going to remake this film and tell us about the cast you are going to use? All right, so if, if I'm good, first things first, we're going to start with the director. And I think I'm going to lean on the Russo brothers, who, of course, are probably most known for Captain America, the Winter Soldier. When you take a look at the intensity and almost the political thriller that Captain America, the Winter Soldier is, I have a feeling that that would translate well as far as this hunter versus hunted kind of feel. Um, If I'm casting the main role of Claire, I had mentioned Bryce Dallas Howard earlier and i thought she was absolutely wonderful in argyle uh as well as jurassic world and you know she's also a very good director herself as well because she's directed some of the best episodes of the mandalorian so i had i would have no problems putting bryce dallas howard in that role um as far as the the mike malchek character i might actually lean on someone like a chris evans 
who I think would be uh, very good. Not not your superhero type protector, but but very much a um, you you could see him realistically in that role. And then as far as the Edison role, as far as the killer, I see him more not not as like the same age as Chris Evans, but maybe someone along the lines of. Maybe a younger Christopher Walken would have worked well, but I, I think you have to have some, or a Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, I think, would be a phenomenal pick because you want someone with that with that level of intensity, with that level of their mere presence tells you that this is someone who would kill you in a second, but you could also see them with the amount of, for lack of a better term, ego that would make them want to clean up their mess no matter what it was. Okay, that's interesting. So, no, obviously, with the remake, you give the cast and the director, which is more than uh, generous. But what's the plot? I think the plot is you keep it as the same. You have, you know, you you have Claire stumble across this scene, and it's too busy. There's too many people around. Maybe it's on the boardwalk. Maybe it's whatever the case. But there are too many people around for Edison to basically flush the toilet, <laughs> you know, for, for lack of a better term. You know, and you, you have it as very much a Evans has to take Bryce Dallas Howard off the grid and go on the lamb, go on the run and, and really make it much more kind of what they did with fair game and much more technology based, right? No credit cards, no using any kind of digital footprint whatsoever. That's where fair game. I think also advanced on the book is that this team of mercenaries had the technological wherewithal to be able to track them down. So make it much more of a, you know, uh, of a, not spy thriller, but very much a much more grounded, less fancy weaponry. Like they had in Cobra tet at tet type of film. Okay, okay. Uh, Richie? Right, well, I want to keep it as close to the book as possible, but there's so much out there now in 2024 that's already done that, so it won't stand out as different. So I'm going to use Guy Ritchie as my director. Interested. Um, I'm going to use Emma Watson as the, uh, the as small always. girl. Yep. Small girl, because, you know, she, she comes across timid and... We know you love her. Very much so. For the keep it in America, we'll keep it in America. So we'll keep it in LA, and we'll use Adam Goldberg as the 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 assassin, um, and Taylor Lautner as the protector. Fucking hell, you love fucking Twilight, don't you? No, I fucking hate it. It's my worst film ever. I fucking hate it. <laughs> Uh, Jason, right, go back and listen to all these remakes. He comes up, it's fucking Zac Efron, it's Tyler Lautner, it's fucking everyone from Harry Potter. You just love all this teen shit, don't you? You love it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but mine's going to be more gangsterish. It's going to be, it's got Guy Ritchie. It's going to have that kind of snatch, lock stock feel about it. Okay, yeah, but right, okay, so if you were going to go with the Guy Ritchie lock stock, why isn't the hero fucking Jason Statham? Because he's too old. You can you imagine Jason Statham having a go on Emma Watson? That's just not right. Yeah, well, yeah, but you don't make it Emma Watson then, do you? You make it age appropriate. But anyway, okay, right. So, uh, although a Billy Piper in a Guy Ritchie would, uh, would work very well. Yes. Okay, yeah, I've, ch- I've changed my mind. Billy Piper, very good. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. I try and be age appropriate as much as I can. I haven't really got a director. I could quite like uh, maybe Jesse V. Johnson if I'm going to pick a director. Uh, because of that, uh, I will pick for the for the Marion Cobretti role. I will pick Scott Atkins. 
who uh, is an action star. So there we've got that. Uh, for the role of Claire, I'm going to just pick Jennifer Lawrence because I always do. She's small and beautiful. And I think that picks, uh, I think that kind of fits uh, the character there. But I thought, what about if the bad guy was either... Uh, Edison was either Ryan Felipe or Bradley Cooper. And I think that would be, that's not what, what I imagined when I was reading it, but when you think, like, I think Ryan Felipe would do quite a very good role as the Edison role because you'd never suspect him of being a murderer, uh, a hitman for hire. You'd expect him to be the bumbling kind of ad chap, but not a killer. And I think he'd do a very good role. I'm changing my my, my protector from uh, Taylor Lautner to Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Okay. I can allow that. Uh, actually, I'd have Killian Murphy as the killer, to be honest. Over Adam Goldberg. I'd, should, that means I'd have to get rid of Adam Goldberg and change. Uh, no, I was thinking. I was thinking of Gonzalez's role. Uh, is it Michael Penner? who was in uh, Ant-Man and Shooter. I think he'd be a good Gonzalez. I don't know whether that's been racially stereotypical or not, but considering uh, <laughs> you'd need someone who looks Spanish, uh, Michael Penner would be a, a good one for Gonzalez. And maybe uh, the chief. Have we got a chief in mind for anyone? Has anyone got a chief Just in anybody mind? old. Um, Eric Roberts. Maybe a Jeffrey Wright. But now now that you guys got me thinking Ooh, about Jeffrey the, the Edison role, I like that. Jeffrey Wright would be good. I'm now thinking Matt Smith for the killer role. Ooh, yes. Because you know what? I saw um, last night in Soho not long ago. And I <laughs> I was uh, I worked with a chap who's in his 70s. And I can imagine him being that kind of, you know, like in the 60s London because he's from that kind of area. And I was watching the film going, oh, yeah, I bet you were just like Matt Smith. And then when it got a bit dark, I was like, I hope you weren't. <laughs> but yeah, no, Matt Smith would be good. Yeah, no, that'd be good. That's a good call. Mind you, you're a big Doctor Who fan. You're biased. Well, I did just drop Billy Piper as well, too. And of course, I'm also thinking Jenna Coleman as well. So, And for whatever reason, I didn't really pick up on the fact that you'd gone with Billy Piper. I was like, he's Canadian. Why is he mentioning Billy Piper? What about David Tennant as the killer then? That's good. Mm. Have you seen Bad Samaritan? No, no. If you can have Killian Murphy and David Tennant in the same show, you have David Tennant as the good guy and you have Killian Murphy as the bad guy. No, right. Have, right. Richie, have you seen Bad Samaritan? No. Have you seen Bad Samaritan, Jason? I have not, although I loved him in Jessica Jones as Kilgrave. Right, right. Yes. So imagine right, so imagine imagine Kilgrave, but fucking worse. Right, that's Bad Samaritan. Mm. Yeah, he's a bad motherfucker. Okay. We've kind of put together some some form of remake. Uh we're gonna move on to our final part of the show because Price is dragging. Um, so we're going to move on to our <laughs> final part of the show. This is why I've been quiet, because I knew you two would have plenty to say. Um, <laughs> so our final part of the show is a simple game show. It's our A2S game show. So uh, I, I trust you've brought some questions for us, Jason. Oh, just just a couple. Just a couple. I, uh, I'm i kind of winging it myself here, but I, I got a few here. Okay, well, I'm going to go first so that nobody shows on my toes, because I, I didn't really do much work on this bit but uh, yeah I'm gonna I've got three three questions and you're standing in Jason for Stephen Dodd so any any points that you gain will go to Stephen <laughs> bastard's gonna be in the lead isn't he yeah <laughs> so my first question what film did Stallone quit to make this movie Beverly Hills Cops ooh 
want to feel? <laughs> oh, my second question. What was Claire doing when she first got shot? She was jogging. She was getting into a taxi. Phil, yeah, she was she was crabbing it up the uh, curb, wasn't she trying to get a taxi? You know what threw me off? She was jogging in fair game. Ah, interesting. That's why, Jason, you don't go above and beyond for a podcast. You stick to the material. <laughs> That's what you get for being prepared. <laughs> That's what you get for being overprepared. <laughs> right. Last question. What was Claire's surname? Oh, you bastard. Mm. I have... N- it's not clicking in. No? No. no. Randall? Uh, no. Uh. Not, 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 not in a hundred guesses. <laughs> I don't come up with that, in all fairness. Okay, then, uh, Jason, do you want to go next? Okay, I'm, I'm going to pop over to the soundtrack of Cobra for a second here. And this is the second time that Robert Tepper has provided a song for a Stallone film. What was the other one and what was the song on that film? Fucking hell, I have no idea. Uh, and, uh, uh, so could I just stop you there, Jason? If I asked a question like this, I would be accused of rigging the quiz. By Richie would be calling me a wanker. <laughs> Right, about now. Anyway, uh, okay, so can you ask the question again, please? Okay. (laughs) On the Cobra soundtrack, there's a song from Robert Tepper. This is the second time that he has provided a song for a Stallone film. What movie did he provide the song for? Over the Top. Nope. Past Rambo. No. It's Rocky Four, where he did the song No Easy Way Out. Oh, that's on my playlist at the gym. How did I not know? Oh, that's getting cut now. It's fucking gone. <laughs> Since we're talking about that song, it was actually re-recorded by a band not that long ago, by a, a hard-hitting, hard rock, hard metal kind of band. Or which band we did it. Can we have a year? Uh, I'm going to get that year for you right now. Jason doesn't know. It would have been in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Who would make a, really make a song like that? Mm, no. no idea. Uh, no. I've got nothing. Uh, is it The Darkness? No. The band is actually called Bullet For My Valentine. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Well, we know that one. I mean, it, it's ironic that we do know it, but I didn't know they did a remake. Okay, okay. So what are the scores at the moment then, Richard? Where are we? I've got two, uh, and you've got zero. That's correct. And I think uh, uh, Steve Surrogate Jason has also got zero, so I'm winning at the moment. Right, so this is based on... So the winner is based on my questions, which I have fucking none of. Right, so <laughs> I have... Okay, so... Um, the first question is, what are the initials of Claire's advertising agency? And when I say initials, it's because it's only really done in initials. TNS. Jason, have you got a... No, it's, it's killing me. Nope. Okay, it's actually TN. TNS. Oh, no, it's, it's fucking TNS. Oh, you fucking white. Oh, and, and the funny thing is, I, I remember it too, because I remember reading it going, what, what about Tennessee? Like, what? <laughs> well, no, well, for me, it was it was TNA. I was like, well, Richard loves tits and ass, because <laughs> it was TN agency. It was the TN agency, so TNA. And I was like, Richie, I'd love that. And you would see, Richie, I knew you did, because you were almost there. Oh, okay. No, I knew it, but I didn't know me. No, I, yeah, no, exactly. I knew, I knew that would be the case. Right then, uh, Brian Thompson starred alongside Jean-Claude Van Damme in what film? I want to 
Was it Under Siege? That was not a Van Damme film. I'll give you a clue. Oh, sorry, Van Damme. Oh. <laughs> and also, was it in Under Siege? <laughs> Can I change my answer then to Universal Soldier? Uh, I will allow you to change your answer, although you're still wrong. Was it Broken Arrow? Are you fucking on drugs? That's fucking John Travolta and Christian Slater. I was I was closer with Under Siege. You were closer with <laughs> Under Siege, you know, face. No, it was Lionheart or AWOL, depending on which country you're in, where Van Damme plays the underground street fighter and Brian Thompson is the beef to Cynthia's fight organising ways. Oh, God, right, a third. Uh, a third. Okay, um, what nationality is Mike Malchuk's grandfather? What kind of fucking question that? Well, it fucking's brought up loads in the book. Um, oh, Russian! <laughs> Yes, Russia, well done, Richie. Oh, what fucking kind of question was that? Oh, 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 Right, that bell tells me it is the end of that game, and at the end of that game, the scores are as follows. Phil, I think you have two, I have one. And, and I came up nothing. Hey, just as Steve would. Don't worry, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking loser. My apologies to Steve for sucking. Okay. <laughs> No, it, it, dude, it got minus one. Yeah, but I also said under siege, so that might be worth minus one. Uh, to be fair, <laughs> I, I really feel like giving you a point just because you got it so badly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you're winning in the season so far, Phil, with a two to one. Two to one, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that's the, that's the remake. That's the quiz done. That's the end of the show, pretty much. We don't have any comments. But no, it is the end of the show. But Jason, can you just tell uh, the audience who you are and what it is you do and where you can be found? Okay, well, you can find my podcast, It's Not That Bad, where we talk about movies that are unfairly maligned and have a low critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. You can find us on social media at Not That Badcast or our website at NotThatBadcast.com. And as far as my music podcast you can find that one at only one cast that is there can only be one where we take an an artist's entire studio discography and go through it album by album and only pick one song her album. You can find that at only one cast as well as our website at notthatbadcast.com. We've got between the two shows, we have three episodes per week. So plenty there for you to digest. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've made it easier for me because I've been able to sit back and enjoy your two's conversations. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll leave links to Jason in the show notes so you can go check him out. We have no comments because when I put it out on social media, nobody's read this book no one really cares about it and i don't think anybody (laughs) cares about the film either so we have no comments off any listeners this week so yeah that's pretty much it so all there's left to say is this has been the adapted to screen podcast a running duck by paula gosling verse cobra i've been richie i've been phil and our guest has been sitting here and enjoying the fact that i got to watch the cindy crawford version of this book thanks for listening if indeed you still are cheerio bye Society is breeding a new kind of criminal. It's also breeding a new kind of cop. Meet Cobra. He does the job nobody wants.
unnecessary deadly force. I used everything I had. Do you know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but it's just a little one. You think you would recognize me if you saw him again? The tall one? Yeah. The one that wants to kill you. Do what you have to do to get a lead on this maniac. And if I find him, do what you do best. Stallone is Cobra, the strong arm of the law.